0: Today is a great day of celebration. I'm going to be preaching from Matthew chapter 28, verse 1 through 10, talking about the resurrection of Jesus. Before I get to that, uh, we are are starting our secret series today. So we do this annually, and what we like to do is we like to take four weeks to tell the stories of four of our church members, talk about their life, their journey, the ups and downs, the challenges, uh, and the hardships that they faced, but also about their faith in Jesus and how through all of the ups and downs, they've held on to and strengthened their faith or even found faith in Jesus. And so you're not going to want to miss these next uh, few weeks. You're going to get a a huge introduction to it today. We're going to be hearing from Gay, who is a member in our church. She's watching online. So hi, Gay. Thanks for tuning in today. And you're going to find that her story really fits in well with the Easter story today. She's somebody who has explored and learned about different religions but ended up finding faith in Jesus, which is the most important thing that we're celebrating, of course, today. So we're going to watch her videos about 10 minutes long. Imagine pre-COVID days, imagine you're sitting down in a coffee shop across from her, and in true conversational fashion, she's telling you her story. Let's roll.
1: My name is Gay. I've lived in Chicago my entire life. In my life, I've had more than one career. I've been a nurse, I've been a legal secretary, I've worked with children, I have volunteered in different areas. I was born to a Christian home of two different denominations that weren't actually practicing. They both had very different ideas. So I was raised with the concept of God. I understood God. I understood Jesus, but not how important it was. I don't understand any of this, and this is filled with people that are mean and bad. I want no part of this. I mean, that is literally what I said when I was 13, and that was the last time I had tried to pick it up and deal with it myself. My mother's mother was quite devout, and looking back, she was one of my best examples of leading a good Christian life. And I'm sure she planted many, many seeds that I didn't even know were there. When I was around five years old, I was on a trip with my father to visit my grandmother, which we did quite often. I think my grandmother had gotten it into her head that, you know, she still hasn't been properly baptized. So, and I remember, I remember this great group of people. I remember the church. I remember a big party. And then I remember going home and my mother being like, oh no, that is not what happened. No, you were not. Baptized, that is not baptism. Coming from a Catholic tradition. So, talk about being confused. I had one part of my family telling me, you've been baptized, you've been saved. And the other part of saying, no, you have not. You've done nothing to earn this. And that's where it laid. Nobody tried to fix any more of it. So there again, growing up, I didn't go to church regularly. I was one of those kids that You're not from Chicago, so I'm not sure if you know, but there's a church over the state, comes and picks kids up in Chicago, takes them to that church. I was one of those kids. The child is gone for about eight hours on a Sunday, and a lot of people in our neighborhood got rid of their kids on Sunday that way. So that was my only experience with church regularly, and it wasn't a great experience. So my experiences were skewed they were negative, and they were definitely not the truth, but I didn't know that. So, young adulthood, I'm not consciously seeking, but I am. And I start learning about other religions, which was great, it was a great education, there are things that I learned that have been valuable, but still, there was always that sense that I'm missing something. Another thing that was happening to me is my mother was extremely sick. She was in and out of the hospital, which greatly influenced my career choice. I ended up being a nurse. I also ended up being the person responsible for everything all the time. At the same time, I was always sick. I was in a lot of pain. I would have very unusual things to happen to a child happen, whereas I was constantly hurting myself. And instead of people figuring out that something was wrong, Instead of people figuring out that something was wrong, people thought that because my mother was sick, it was seeking attention. My mother was the only person that felt that something truly was wrong, and I think maybe my dad did too, but there again, it was pretty ignored and pretty just glossed over all the time because it was just the last thing that was important in our family. There was so much going on, so much going on. So, once you're told, often enough, that there is something wrong, you believe there is something wrong. And there's something that really happens to you when you think you know a truth, but then the entire world is telling you that's not the truth. And I think that kind of mirrors some of my religious yearnings also, because here I am, well, what is the truth? What is the truth? By the time I was 19, I was just ready to have my own family. I wanted to have a good life. I wanted to continue to take care of my mother, still not understanding that I had this very major physical problem. And also thinking that I had to try to control everything around me. That if something was wrong, that it was falling on me to fix it, even if I didn't have anything to do with it being broken. So here I am, a young adult, and by this time, I've actually quit high school. Couldn't physically handle high school at all. So there's something wrong, I still have to get on with it. So that's what I did. At the same time, I was falling in love with the person that I would end up marrying. And so by 25, I was married, having my first child and already started my career as a licensed practical nurse. I started college credits very slowly. So I was working two jobs and going to college and became pregnant with my first daughter. And um, that was crazy and extremely hard. So I had a good pregnancy. Everything was fine, kind of. I still knew it wasn't fine. At the same time, my husband is sick. He's starting to not be well in many physical ways. And so, my first child is born with a heart defect that would kill her had it been a few years earlier. But there's this operation they can do, and this is a miracle. This is one of those times where I'm like, yeah, there has to be a God. At the same time, after I had my child, I was actually physically doing very well at that point. Within a couple of years, that changed. Things got so bad that I could not handle physically working, and the decision was made for me to stop working. So I have my second child. The pregnancy was extremely challenging. I was much sicker. My daughter is born, and she is not well. Nobody can tell us what is wrong. Over the next couple of decades, we found out what my child had, we found out that My husband probably had it too, that it's genetic. And as we started thinking about it and as she was growing, family members were like, no, that's you. You were just like that as a child. I, many years later, was finally diagnosed with this thing. In retrospect, my mother had this thing, and this is the thing that caused such horrible pain and suffering in my mother's life. And she died never knowing that there was this thing. In the meantime, trying to take care of this child. My husband and I went through too many struggles to handle that together, and we broke up. After my husband and I broke up, I accidentally met my soulmate, and he's the one that convinced me that God is real, and we were together for four years, and he died. So there's that, and I'm, I'm kind of trying to come through all this, and, and several years later, my, my best friend is in the same boat. This guy dies, he's my age. And he's my best friend's first love that she had gone back to. Her, her marriage had broken up and she, she ended up back with him. And so we're there. I'm down south. We're burying him. We're doing his cremation thing. And his sister was like, we're going to church. We're all going to church. And my best friend and I are like, oh, this is the last thing we want to do today. So we get to church. And I'm like, this feels so good that all of a sudden everything felt so very right. And something happened to me there. God happened to me there that day. It was a very physical sensation. And everything became so clear. I was almost as if I heard Jesus saying, you know I've always been here. I swear that's what I heard. And I was able to clearly see that he was always there. He had never left me, even though I had left him. I truly, you know, that was the day that I asked him to be with me and to come into my heart, and I wanted to have this daily walk with Jesus. So, basically, now my life today, I have finally found a church that I love being involved in, and Jesus is part of my life every single day. So, my life has not gotten easier, it has lots of struggles in it from lots of different areas. But I feel very differently about it all now. I understand that this is the world we live in and that this is not the world I'll be staying in. That there is something different, there is something better and that I'll be getting to go there. And part of how I keep staying in faith every single day is by attending church regularly. I love the small groups. And I stay in devotionals in between all of that. And I do understand that it's a relationship. It's a personal relationship with Jesus. And that I have a real father. And that's also very profound in my life.
0: Big thank you, Gay. I'm sure she's watching that at home. Thank you so much for sharing your testimony your story with us. She's a good example of somebody who found faith later on in life. Many people do find faith when they're younger, but it's a great reminder to us. It doesn't matter. It's, it's never too late. It doesn't matter what's gone before that you can turn to Jesus at any point and find faith in Jesus. She mentioned that uh, as in the conversation that we had together, uh, I was sitting on the other side of the camera. You couldn't see asking her questions, but she mentioned that, there was lots of mysteries and lots of things that she still didn't understand about the Bible and about God, but she was comfortable with those things, that she was learning more, studying Scripture, getting more answers, but also comfortable not un- fully grasping and understanding everything. And I think life is that way. All things are that way. There's mystery in all things. So there's mystery in Christianity, and that's one of the things that actually makes it beautiful and intriguing. It's one of the things that invites us in to discover and entertain the, the mysteries and the things that are um, difficult sometimes to understand. Today we want to look at this central truth of the Christian faith, that to be a believer and a follower of Jesus, to have hope forever, is to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And that's what Gay has believed in, and that's what we've believed in, and that's what we were looking at today. So let's pray, and then we're going to read the scripture. Jesus, thank you for this amazing day. Thank you for being with us here. Thank you for bringing everybody to us today. Thank you for this wonderful testimony we heard. God, do a great work in us. Help us deepen our faith for those of us who have faith. Strengthen it. But Lord, for those who don't, bring them into your family today. Help them know that you're the only way and believe in your resurrection. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Matthew 28 verses 1 through 10. To go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is God's word. To believe in God is to believe in spiritual reality. To believe in other beings, like angels and even demons as well. Angels don't show up too often in the Bible, but when they do, you know it's significant. They appear at the birth of Jesus. They appear at the resurrection of Jesus, and you know it's kind of like God setting off fireworks. Kind of like, hey, this is, this is a big deal. Like, we need to do something impressive and important here. Going to send a few angels to make sure everyone uh, is in tune and connected to what's actually happening. Jesus himself also uh, predicted this incredible event, as it told us in this passage that we just read, that Jesus himself foretold his own death and resurrection. And we read that in John 11, one example of this, John 11, 25 through 26. says, so Jesus said to her, that's to Martha, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's the question we've all got to answer today is do we and will we believe this? Now, there's lots of proofs, lots of things that we can look at to say that can shore up and bolster our beliefs, lots of things we can kind of prove some evidences and things we can with our rational minds look at and those things are helpful. There's many things, there's the accounts of all the witnesses, many witnesses saying yeah we, we saw it happen with our own eyes. Uh, the, the agreement amongst those witnesses is impressive, the reliability of the manuscripts that we have, the quantity of the manuscripts of the New Testament we have telling us about this all very impressive, the, the, the spread, the explosion of Christianity, how it spread so rapidly the non-mythical nature of the accounts, very in stark contrast to other spiritual stories of history, very different. The, 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 the honesty of the authors, they tell embarrassing things about themselves. This is one of the things you learn about textual analysis is that if someone says something embarrassing about themselves, it's much more likely to be true. The Bible is full of that kind of stuff. The testimony of women is another example. The, there's non-biblical references. People from out, you know, other historians, people from outside uh, the, the Christian faith saying that, yes, Christians genuinely, they all believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. It was, this wasn't just a fad. It wasn't something they were trying to engineer. They all fully believed it. Also, they wouldn't recant. All his followers brutally, aggressively tortured and tormented and abused, didn't recant. Rome could have produced Jesus's body. They were, you know, they didn't want insurrectionists. They could have just produced that, here's the body. We've got it in the tomb over here. These people are talking crazy business. None of that happened. The witness of the church throughout church history is another thing that affirms this, has been, this is central doctrine to Christian faith. You can't be a Christian. You cannot be a Christian if you don't believe in the literal resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But even if you have all these proofs, they're still not enough, are they? The Bible tells us that even people that saw him alive they saw the wounds. They recognized that, Yeah, this is the guy. Yes, he was crucified. They saw. tells us in other parts of, the, of Scripture that they doubted. They doubted. You can have all the different intellectual reasons, but you still need faith. You still need faith. Yeah, In fact, you need faith to believe anything. It's kind of funny, actually, if you think about it. Christians, we appeal to a higher wisdom. We appeal to the wisdom that says you need faith to believe in anything because you can't prove that your perceptions of reality whatever world system of belief that you have worldview that you have has to be faith on some based on some kind of intuition because you can't prove that your perceptions aren't being manipulated somehow that you're accurately seeing everything so there's always an element of faith to everything you ever believe I want to give us two reasons today you're gonna to try it on like a pair of pants put one leg in first and the next leg hope it fits hopefully it does two reasons today to either find faith in Jesus or to strengthen your faith in Jesus. Two reasons, try it on like a pair of pants. We'll see if it fits. Firstly, you cannot you cannot not believe, excuse the double negative. You cannot not believe in something. Belief is completely unavoidable. Elon Musk, one of the smartest people in our day and age, doing all kinds of cool things. You've seen the rockets landing on YouTube, you've seen all that stuff, incredible. Sorry, geeking out. Always geek out about stuff like that. He believes that life is a simulation; that we're living in a computer program. That's his genuine belief. Now, Christians, now we, that's just basically uh, that—that—that's that's an intellectual way of of using metaphysical language or using spiritual language. Just it's just framing it differently. Of course, we believe, you know, God, you know, DNA, right? Our genetics. That's you know, Christians. We believe. Of course, we believe God's a programmer. I mean, like you look at the substructure of everything. God's he's designed it all to be a certain way. Belief is inevitable. You have to believe in something. Even people who have a purely naturalistic view of things, they'll say things like, well, we're searching for a theory of everything. Well, what is that? It's a meta-narrative that explains why everything is the way it is. See, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what you deny or what you claim to believe in, you have, you, you have this intuition and this faith assumption that everything makes sense, somehow everything makes sense, that somehow there's a bigger story to everything that ties everything together. It's inevitable, you cannot avoid belief. And actually, you'll never be satisfied until you find a worldview that integrates all the things you experience in your life, that integrates them all together in a satisfying way. You'll never be able to rest until you find that belief. You'll always be searching for it. That's the first. Hopefully, you got your leg into that one. Second one connects to the first one. It's this idea that since belief is inevitable, the best option by far, by a long shot, is Jesus. Let me explain why. All the things we love, all the things we value, like justice, like equality, like many of the morals we have about the dignity of life and all the things, morals that we believe in, like our liberalism, like freedom, like human rights, like ideas like redemption and grace and forgiveness. All these ideas spring from and grow from Christianity. And you cannot, they will not stand without Christ as their foundation. And we're seeing that happening in real time, and our society is crumbling apart. All these things that we hold, that we say we value, because we've lost Jesus, we've lost Christ as the foundation of them, they're all completely demolishing, they're falling apart in front of our eyes. Now, of course, you shouldn't want Jesus just because you get all those things, because you get a societal outcome. That's not the reason. But it is a compelling additional reason, so that's kind of important. All the intellectual reasons, though, to find faith, all the intellectual reasons fall away. And really, faith ends up being this intuition, this idea. It's much more emotional, much more social than we realize. I believe in the resurrection, and our church believes in the resurrection of Jesus, because in this epic act of redemption, we have found our redemption. We believe in the resurrection of Jesus because in this act of redemption, we see that our past, our present, and our future, all of the mistakes we've made are wiped away. We believe in the resurrection because in this epic act of Jesus, his death on the cross, brutal sacrifice for sin, for our sin, and then resurrection to new life, promising us eternal life in him forever. We believe in it because it clears our conscience, the guilt that we felt for all the things we've done wrong. In this Great redemption, we find our conscience is clean. We found family in this belief. This belief gives us family. This belief tells us of a father who loves us fully, fully accepts us. No other, even the best earthly parent you could ever have, never does it well enough. Never does it properly enough. They always fail in some regard. There's always some kind of wound from your parent, no matter who you are, no matter how good it's been. And some of those wounds can be pretty deep. In God, though, we have this Father who's perfect and loves us perfectly. In this belief, we have the greatest purpose and the greatest meaning that you could ever find. Because it's an eternal, unending meaning. In this belief, we have a promise of eternal life. That means when we face death, we don't fear it. It's still sorrowful, but we have that promise forever. In this belief, we have wisdom to live. We have history. We have thousands of years of wisdom to live by. We find such meaning and joy in those things. There is no greater love than in this belief system. There's no greater validation than in this belief system. You cannot find greater love and greater validation other than an almighty ultimate purpose, person. If you believe in an ultimate person, then you can receive the ultimate love. That's the belief system. There is nothing that can touch you more deeply in your heart than this story, than this history, than this person, Jesus. It's like Pascal's Wager. You've heard of this, right? Pascal's Wager, the idea that what you might lose by believing in God is so insignificant to what you gain by believing in God, even if it's wrong. What you lose is not worth considering, barely anything, compared to what you gain is infinite. Let's have the band come up. We want to respond in worship today. If you want to follow Jesus for the first time, you've not put your faith in Jesus, I want to encourage you to take that step today. If you want prayer today, you want to take a next step, you want to get involved in our prison ministry, letter writing to those who are incarcerated. If you want to tell us that you want to, you, you're, we want to get a head count for Mother's Day, you want to tell us about that, please go ahead and text Trinity Church, that word, Trinity Church, to uh, 94000. Uh, go ahead and take that step today before you leave, especially if you're new. We want to stay connected to you and be praying for you today. Today... Let's not believe just because there are some intellectual reason, reasons that, that give us some confidence. Let's not believe for that reason, although that's good. Let's not just believe because belief is inevitable and just because Jesus is a good option. Let's believe because he is the ultimate option, because he is the truth. believe for this reason that the tomb is empty. There's the, these believers, these early Christians were so convinced he was alive, that he'd risen from the dead, that they'd seen him. They were so convinced of it. It's been forgotten. It's been lost in history where his grave is. Nobody knows. People claim to know. Nobody knows where Jesus was buried for those few days. Nobody knows. Most religious figures have a shrine, some type of burial plot. You can go and find them all around the world, but not Jesus. The most significant religious leader doesn't have one because everyone was convinced this man is alive. Believe today in Jesus because of the empty tomb. Come to the empty tomb and you're going to have your life turned upside down, but right side up.